0: Hello and welcome to ECNM on Air, a podcast series from ECNM magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor-in-chief of ECNM, and today I'd like to highlight some of the most popular pieces of technical content we've been running recently, but this time brought to you in audio only form. In case you missed it, this content was originally brought to you in our ECNM asks Q&A video series. This week, we're featuring subject matter expert Tommy Northit, who addresses some of our readers' most pressing questions about all things arc flash, including the common concern over how to deal with instances when the arc flash study and the posted stickers are out of date, how to ensure an electrically safe work condition, arc flash incident energy considerations, the difference between arc flash hazard and arc blast hazard and what you can do to determine the arc flash hazard for DC systems and battery banks. Let's hear what Tommy has to say about all things arc flash. Tommy, over to you.
1: Hello, welcome to ECNM Asks, a Q&A video series in which readers pose their most pressing electrical questions and our subject matter as- experts answer. Brought to you by ECNM Magazine and found on the Members Only section of our website. I'm Tommy Northcott, Senior Power Engineer and Branch Manager with Jacobs, and I'm here today to answer some of your questions about ArcFlash, so let's get started. Today's first question raises an interesting concern. What if the ArcFlash study and posted stickers are out of date? Is it safe to go buy the old stickers? This is becoming more of a frequent problem as ArcFlash assessments are surpassing their five-year update frequency requirements. First, I will say that we always want to find ways to do our work in an electrically safe work condition. But the act of establishing that electrically safe work condition can involve arc flash hazards while opening disconnect devices. In my mind, there are really two options. One option is to revert back to the NFPA 70E tables, which are based on common scenarios related to equipment type and class, which does not always line up with the specific systems a worker may be interacting with. Another option, which is my preferred option, is to understand that the outdated stickers are based on system configuration, equipment, and coordination at the time of that assessment. And that is a really good starting point. I then reach out to the facility owner and ask questions about any known system changes or protective device changes to gauge how well the system has been maintained or if there seems to have been some fluctuation in the system. Since I have experience with arc flash analysis, I also take a look at the upstream device and its settings when I can see them and see if the settings and the posted arc flash incident energy seem to make sense to me. In the end, if I do not feel absolutely certain that nothing has changed since the last assessment, I will still put on the maximum arc flash protection I have available and then strongly recommend they update their arc flash assessment. I might also consider making some temporary changes to the upstream protective device to reduce the potential severity. Our next question asks, if an arc flash event can blow open doors, is arc flash PPE enough even with doors closed? Now, this is related to the difference between the arc flash hazard and the arc blast hazard, as I discussed in a previous episode. If the worker is wearing PPE that has the ATPV or arc thermal protective value that exceeds the calculated incident energy for the equipment, then they will be protected from the arc flash hazard, meaning that the PPE can protect them from the heat produced by the arc flash event. There's not really anything that specifically accounts for the arc blast hazard. However, if the incident energy is below 40 calories per centimeter squared, The probability of that blast being severe enough to be deadly on its own is extremely rare. There's still a possibility of being banged up or being knocked back if there's debris that breaks loose in the event and the debris hits the worker. In fact, this is why safety glasses are still required under the face shield. The face shield is designed to protect the worker from the radiated thermal hazard, but not projectiles. Even though the probability of an event that is less than 40 calories per centimeter squared having enough force behind the debris to kill somebody is extremely rare, you must keep in mind that the arc flash PPE is protection from the thermal hazard. It's always good practice to make sure that the area around you is clear and free from additional hazards in the event that the blast does cause you to step back or fall back behind you. If you do fall, it would be best to fall back onto a smooth surface rather than a toolbox or other solid object, which may add to the potential negative outcome of an arc flash event. Next, we have another DC-related arc flash question. What can we do to determine the arc flash hazard for DC systems and battery banks since the IEEE 1584 excludes these systems? This is a very common question, particularly with the rise of electric vehicles and solar array systems. The NFPA and IEEE are actively working to develop a standard similar to the IEEE 1584 that will address the DC hazard calculations. In lieu of that being finished and published, there are a few options. The NFPA 70E does have some tables that have some generalized estimated PPE requirements based on system properties. In my opinion, the better approach is to reference a couple of IEEE papers that can help to get some conservative calculations that I believe will be more accurate to the specific DC system you are evaluating. The two papers I would recommend as a reference are arc flash calculations for exposure to DC systems and DC arc models and incident energy calculations, both of which are referenced in the annex of the NFPA 70E. In an effort to keep these videos short and sweet, it looks like we're about out of time for today. I'll pick up next time with answers to your most pressing technical questions. If you have a question you would like answered, please ask it in the comments section below and maybe you'll get your answer in a future episode. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of ECNM Asks and keep checking back for new episodes in our members only section. Thank you and have a blessed day.
0: Well, it looks like we're about out of time for today. Tune in next time for more answers to your most pressing electrical questions. ECM On Air is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavour Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parson, signing off of ECNM On Air. Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more podcasts and other great content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.